would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John. 1 John. If you'd like to use the red Bibles and the chairs around you, you can find the page printed for you in the bulletin for the passage that we'll be looking at today. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 28, down through chapter 3, verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, down through chapter 3, verse 3. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what love, what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because, he, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Let's pray together. Father, through the work of your Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to see the things that you want us to see from this portion of your Word. Teach us what we need to be taught. Help us to see the love that you have for us as a Father. And I pray, Father, that as we meditate on that truth today, that you would truly empower us and motivate us, that we might live as you desire us to live, growing in Christ-likeness, growing in righteousness, growing in holiness. Would you do this, Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's pretty obvious that I'm a son of Dave and Becky. It's pretty obvious that I am the child of my parents. Now, there are probably lots of ways that that's true, but I was thinking about one in particular this past week. My father was a CPA, uh, uh, an accountant, and uh, he uh, met the stereotypes of what a CPA looks like in many ways. He was extremely organized. He was very detail-oriented, uh, always on top of things, uh, always uh, very, very much organized in every aspect of life. Some might have even said to an extreme. And my mother was a stay-at-home mom while I was growing up, and she managed a very busy house. Uh, two boys that were in lots of activities, both in school and outside side of school, lots of friends and gatherings, and she was also very detail-oriented and very organized. And, and growing up in that home with parents who were very organized and detailed and, and, and used various systems to kind of keep everything organized and whatnot, it rubbed off on both my brother and I. Now, my brother and I have plenty of faults, but being unorganized is probably not one of them. If anything, I'm probably on the other extreme. Uh, in fact, uh, if, uh, if I shared my organizational system the way I kind of try to keep track of details to you, it might stress some of you guys out. <laughs> That's just one of the ways that... I can tell that I'm, I'm a child of my parents. There are other ways as well, but that's one of the ways that I can tell. I can look and I can see how I am a child of Dave and Becky. 
And we come here to John's letter. We come back to this letter that, we're, that we've been studying. And one of the things that we've seen is that John wrote this letter to God's people so that they could know that they are the children of God, so that they could know they have eternal life. Already in the letter that we've seen, already in the first couple of chapters, John has given us several different ways of knowing that we are children of God. He said things like, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. We walk in the light and not in the darkness. We keep the Lord's commandments. We are in Christ. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't love the world. We've been anointed by the Lord. And last week we talked about the fact that we are abiding in Christ. These are all ways that John has been describing how we can know that we are children of God. Some of those things are things about who we are that show us that we are God's children. And some of those things are things that we do to show us that we are God's children. And in today's passage, John is connecting this idea of abiding in Christ that we read about in verse 28 with the idea of being born of God, of being a child of God that we read at the end of verse 29. But here's the question that I want us to think about today. How can you know? How can you know that you are a child of God? What are the signs that show us that we are one of God's children? How can we tell? Well, as John does so often in his letters, he's going to tell us, first of all, what it looks like to be a child of God. And then he's going to go on and talk about what it doesn't look like to be a child of God. Today, we're looking at the positive aspect of that in verse chapter 2, verse 28, down through chapter 3, verse 3, what it looks like to be a child of God, how we can know that we are. And then in two weeks, we're going to come back and we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, and he's going to show us what it doesn't look like. But today, what does it look like to be a child of God? How we can know that we are? And he's going to give us four things from these verses. First of all, God's children are overwhelmed. They are in awe of the Father's love for them. Secondly, more and more in their lives, they are putting off sin and putting on righteousness. Thirdly, they don't look for their home here in this life. And lastly, they live life with an eager and confident expectation that Jesus is coming back. So let's look at those four things. First of all, one characteristic of being a child of God is that we are overwhelmed by the Father's love. This is where we have to start. Chapter 3, verse 1. John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Now, you can't really see it here in the English translation. Some of your translations may have, Behold what kind of love the Father has. In the ESV it says, See what kind of love the Father has. But in the Greek, John was using a very unique word. Potopos, for what kind of love? It, it is a word that is an exclamation. It is an ex exclamation of astonishment and wonder and amazement. See what kind of love, he says. It's also used in Mark chapter 13 when Jesus and the disciples were coming out of the temple. And one of the disciples, we're not told which one, one of the disciples looked at the temple as he was coming out and he exclaimed, Potipas, oh, amazing. Do you see the size of these stones of the temple? Can you see the majesty of this building that we are coming out of? 
And John is expressing the same kind of awe, the this, this same kind of astonishment about the content, about the extent, about the enormity of the love that the, fa- excuse me, that the Father has for his children. John is in awe of the idea of being adopted as a child of the Lord. I want you to notice, John says, this isn't just some kind of abstract idea. This is not just some kind of wish that we have. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This is not just some wish that we have. This is a fact. It's a truth. It is reality. If we are Christians, then we have, been, uh, we have the unbelievably enormous love of the Father on us. He has given us the status of being his child. That is a true reality for those who are in Christ. J.I. Packer said it this way, One can tell how well he understands Christianity by seeing how much he makes of being a child of God. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well. Are you overwhelmed? Are you astonished at the love of the Father for you? We see the Father's love for us in the gospel of God's grace. God didn't spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us. Jesus willingly endured the pain and agony and loneliness of this life and lived a perfect and loving obedience to His Father. He endured the wrath of God that was poured out on Him on the cross and He took the cup of God's judgment and He drank it down completely. And He did that so that we would never face that wrath or judgment, but instead be credited with Jesus' righteousness and be given the status of a child of God. Does that move you? Brothers and sisters in Christ, does it move you to know the love of the Father for you? Or is it just old news? Is it just a fact that you affirm? Is it, just, uh, is it just a belief that you profess? Remember, John was in his 80s or 90s when he was writing these words. He was coming to the end of his life. And as he writes of the love of the Father, it moves him in such a way. He is astonished and amazed. That's what it does for a child of God. Does it do that for us? Or is it just something that we passively affirm without having any impact on us anymore? Brothers and sisters in Christ, if that reality of the Father's love doesn't move you, then one of the reasons may likely be that you are, you've stopped taking your sin seriously. Because the, the more that we see and the more that we understand the extent of our sin, the more that we will understand the extent of the Father's love for us in the gospel. How much time do we spend reading the scriptures and reading other books and thinking and talking with brothers and sisters in Christ about the love of our Father for us? It's one of the traits of being a child of God, being moved, being astonished by our Father's love. 
And one of the ways that that you can know that you are properly astonished and moved by the Father's love is that more and more you will start putting off your sin and putting on righteousness. That's another characteristic of being a child of God. And John says both of those things here in these verses. First in verse 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he, as Jesus is pure. Purifies himself, that is, putting off of sin. And then back in chapter 2, verse 29, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Practicing righteousness, putting on righteousness. This is one of the, this is one of the ways that we know that we are a child of God. More and more, we are putting off sin. We are purifying ourselves and we are putting on or practicing righteousness. Now, be careful. The human heart's bent, the human heart's nature is to think that what John is saying here is that we put off sin and we put on righteousness in order to earn our Father's love, in order to achieve our Father's love. But that is not what he says. Look again at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What John is saying is that putting off our sin and putting on righteousness is the result. It's the consequence of knowing and having the love of the Father. It's the result of being a child of God, of being born of God. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So one of the ways that we affirm and show and see that we are God's children is that we are putting off sin. We purify ourselves. That, that means to cleanse ourselves. It means to dedicate ourselves to purity. It means to acknowledge our sin for what it is. It means to lean against it. It means to fight against it. It means not just giving in to temptation. It means wrestling and fighting. It means denying ourselves. It means putting off the instant gratification that our sin so often gives to us. It means putting guardrails in place to help steer us clear of sin. It means keeping the right standard in mind that we would purify ourselves as Jesus is pure, John says at the end of verse 3. Putting off our sin. But that's only half of it. We also are to put on righteousness. We are to practice righteousness, as John says in verse 29. That means an active Intentional pursuit of righteous, good, God-honoring actions, thoughts, and words. It is not just not doing what is sinful. It is actively doing that which is righteous and holy. It's following God's commands. It is pursuing the fruit of the Spirit as qualities, as applications in our lives. Now, how do we know what it means to to practice righteousness? How do we know what that looks like? How do we know what the holiness is that is pleasing to God? Well, he's given it to us in his word. That's where he shows us what it's like. And so are we reading our Bibles to know what righteousness looks like? Are we reading our Bibles to know what it looks like for us to put on that righteousness? The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 13, does a good job of helping us to articulate this putting off of our sin and putting on of righteousness. Chapter 13, they say this. They 
who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in them, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified and they are more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. What a, what a wonderful way of compactly saying it. Those who are truly the children of God have had their hearts changed. They have been given a new spirit. They are sanctified by the word and by the spirit of God dwelling in them such that more and more they have the lusts of their hearts weakened and mortified or killed. More and more they are strengthened to practice true holiness. This is one of the ways that we know that we're a child of God. More and more putting off of our sin and putting on of righteousness. Never perfectly. We're always going to fall short in both aspects, both in putting off our sin and putting on righteousness. But God's people should see progress. Maybe it's not easy to see that progress in any given moment. But over the past year, over the past two years, over the past ten years, do we see progress over things like lust and greed and anger and impatience and selfishness and pride? Over the last year, over the last two years, over the last ten years, do we see an increased obedience to the commands of Scripture? That we love God more, that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ more, that we love our neighbors more, that we are more and more generous with all that the Lord has given to us. Putting off sin and putting on righteousness, that's one of the ways that we know that we're a child of God. Thirdly, he He says one of the ways that we'll know that we're a child of God is that we're not looking for this place to be our home. Look at what he says again in chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. What John is saying here is that Because we are children of God, because we have the love of our Father, because we are putting off our sin and putting on righteousness, the world doesn't know us. And it shouldn't surprise us when we experience a world that doesn't know us. When we experience a world that doesn't understand us, that it doesn't affirm the commitments that we believe are right and true and good. Why not? Because the world didn't know Jesus. John here is simply affirming what he had heard Jesus himself say. John recorded it in his gospel in John chapter 15. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus and John are saying that it's not just a possibility that we are going to experience that in this world. It's not just likely that that might happen. It is a reality that we should expect to experience. 
And brothers and sisters in Christ, that leads us to something we must remember. This world is not our home. And we shouldn't treat it as if it were. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The norm for God's children in this life is conflict and tension with the world. A world that is unwilling to live at peace with those who are adopted as God's children. There might be seasons, there might be times, there might be places where there is peace. But that should not be our expectation. It should not be the the norm that we expect. We can't look at this world as our home. Now, knowing that and living accordingly tempers our disappointments and our disgust and our anger when the politics and the ways of this world seem backward and harmful to us. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have disappointment and disgust, but they should be tempered. They should be kept in perspective. Of course, the ways of this world, the politics of this world are not always God honoring because the world doesn't know the father that sent Jesus into the world. But brothers and sisters, it also ought to temper temper us another way. Knowing that this world is not our home should temper us feeling too comfortable in this world as well. Feeling completely content with the ways of the world. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't want or experience comfort and peace and contentment here, but it should be tempered. If we don't experience any hatred from the world, if we don't experience any persecution, we can rightly ask ourselves, why not? If the world hated and persecuted our Savior, then we can know it's going to hate and persecute his followers as well. So what are the ways that you find yourself falling into the trap of thinking and acting like this world is your home? Because being a sign of being a child of God is that more and more you know and you live as with the reality that this world is not our home. That we're simply sojourners in this land. Lastly, John gives us one additional way that we know that we are children of God. And that is that we wait with an eager expectation for Jesus' return. Look again at chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John here is talking in verse 2 about what happens when Jesus comes back, when, when Jesus returns. God's people that know that this world is not their home should wait with an eager expectation for that day when Jesus will be coming back. When he will take us to be home in the new heavens and the new earth. And as we wait for that day to come, we wait with a, with a confidence and an eagerness. And I want you to notice that as we wait, he reminds us that we don't know a lot about what it's going to be like. He says, what we will be like when Jesus comes back has not yet appeared. It's not completely evident to us. We don't know a whole lot of what it will be like when Jesus returns and what heaven is going to be like. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of information. And because of that, we should resist the temptation of going into too much speculation. But there are some things that we do know that John tells us here in verse 2. We do know that Jesus is coming back. He is, he is going to appear. He himself has promised that. 
That He would come back and, and show Himself to us. And what we know because of that truth is that today we are one day closer to that than yesterday. John tells us we also know that when Jesus returns, we're going to get to see Him as He is. We'll get to see the Lord in all of His beauty and glory. It'll be unlike anything that we've ever experienced. We probably can't even imagine what that day is going to be like when we get to see Jesus as He is. And he also goes on in verse 3 to say that we do know that when Jesus returns and when we get to see him as he is, we will be like him. I think what that means is that not only will we we be free of the penalty of sin and the power of sin, which is true for God's people today. But when Jesus comes back and we see him as he is, when we are made like him, not only will we be free of the penalty and the power of sin, but even from the possibility of sin. We will receive the inheritance that is ours, that is being kept for us in heaven. We will experience an eternal weight of glory that we are being prepared for. And that's why John says in verse 28 that we should have confidence as we wait for Jesus' return. For those who are God's children, we wait with confidence for that day, not in pride or arrogance, but a confident expectation. Confident because we know it is true. Confident because we know it, is ha- it will happen. Confident because we know that we are God's beloved children. We've been adopted into His family and declared righteous. And that means we never have to shrink back in shame. As He says at the end of verse 28. Yes, we have lots to be ashamed about, both in our past and in our present. But because we are God's children, because our sins have been paid for, because God's wrath has been propitiated, because we've been declared righteous and given the status as an adopted child of God, there will be no cause for us to shrink back in shame and guilt because it's been removed forever. This is what God's children do. Those who have been adopted into God's family Those who have experienced the love of their father, they wait with a confident eagerness for the return of our Savior. My dad smoked a pipe most of the time that I was growing up. I can remember uh, the sweet aroma of tobacco that he used. In fact, it's really a weird thing, and some of you uh, health professionals and scientists can probably explain it, but I don't even have to be around that tobacco. I just, it'll, every once in a while, I'll catch a glimpse of the smell as if it's right there in front of me, even though it's not anywhere near me. It's happened even recently where I was reminded of that sweet aroma of the tobacco that he used to smoke. I can, I can remember being in the room with him as he was smoking his pipe and, and how the room over time would fill up with layers of, of his smoke. And it's probably true, although no one ever mentioned it to me as a young person, but I can assume that it's probably true that if, if I was sitting in the room with my, with my dad as he was smoking, then left the room, that people could probably smell that same aroma on me. And spending time around my father caused me to have that similar aroma. And brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a sense in which that's what John is telling us here. If we are Christians, if we are in Christ, then we are God's children. We have been born of our Father in heaven. And how do you know that that's the truth? How can you tell that it's the truth? You should have the aroma of your Father in heaven on you. You should be overwhelmed and astonished and in awe of the love of your Father for you. 
You should be overwhelmed as you think about the depth of his love for you in the gospel of grace. More and more you should be putting off your sin and putting on the righteousness of God, never perfectly but progressively through the work of the Holy Spirit. More and more you should stop looking for this world to be your home. That should temper your mindset as you live here in this place. And you should wait with an eager and confident expectation that Jesus is coming back and one day, One day you will see him as he is and you will be like him. That's what a child of God looks like. That's what a child of God does. Let's pray together. Father, as we prayed in the first service, we pray again now. We would boldly ask for you this week, through the work of your spirit, through your word, through your creation, through our fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, would you show us new and deepening ways of how much you love us? Would you show us the love of a father? Help us to understand it in new and fresh ways this week. And as we meditate upon that in whatever way you bring that to our attention and increase our understanding of it, we pray that a result would be that we would be motivated and empowered to put off our sin and to put on righteousness this week. Father, we pray that you would do this for us because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.